Well, hello, Monument. It's uh, great to have you back with us again this morning as we continue in our Comfort and Courage series. Uh, there's only one more left, which is next week after this week, but today we're gonna start chapter four and then finish it up uh, with Steve Van Ryn from the Advance Movement uh, next week. So let's jump right into uh, Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So that's just the first few verses. Obviously, uh, Paul is diving in with uh, continued encouragement, but then also uh, very quickly leaps to uh, resolving what seems to be some disunity in the church. Obviously, as we've seen throughout Philippians, unity is so important to him and is so important to Jesus in the body of Christ. And so Paul goes right after it. And speaking of these two uh, women in the Bible, Euodia and Syntyche, uh, it appears that they've had some kind of falling out. We don't know exactly what that is, um, but we know that there's an issue. And Paul quite graciously wants to help them and wants to help his true companion. Another translation points out that it's a man named Sisygus, uh, who he's asking, hey, help them out in this. And the thing is, you know, we, we realize that um, even though he doesn't approve of this conflict that's going on between these two women, he loves them. He wants to help them. And not only does he want to bring unity to the body of Christ, but he wants to, to serve these ladies, and he's asking others to do that as well. And so, uh, you know, he, he speaks this word of correction, um, but he also says, you know, they labored with me in the gospel. And, you know, we don't know exactly what role they played with Paul, but we do know that in Acts 16, it tells us that the Philippian church started there really with a women's prayer group. And it's very possible that these ladies were involved in that very prayer group. And so when he refers to just how uh, they've helped and they've been such a service to him in the gospel, um, it very well could be that they were part of this uh, little group that started in the home of Lydia, and, uh, and now has become this amazing church. And the other thing we see with that is that what a beautiful um, way to honor just what uh, female leadership has been in the church throughout church history. I mean, this church in Philippi is a significant example of that. Uh, and again, Paul is raising that, uh, but then also coming in to serve the situation to bring resolution so that this conflict doesn't disrupt uh, the witness and the mission uh, that they're on. And so he entreats them, as it says, uh, because unity is so important. And he models something for us here, doesn't he? He's being a peacemaker. You know, Jesus called us to be peacemakers. And peacemakers don't just try to calm things down so that everybody can get along. Peacemakers actually go after situations of conflict in order to bring peace and unity. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers in Matthew 5, for they shall be called the children of God. And so we as children of God are called to be peacemakers. You ever get into situations where you know of some strife happening and there's one way of approaching it, which is busybody, I wanna know more. And then the other is a conviction around this principle of us following Jesus and Paul in this case, 
into the peacemaking process. Uh, I have just known so many situations over the course of my uh, time in the church, both just as a, uh, an attender and then also as a pastor, of going into difficult situations and making peace. Oftentimes, people can't quite see eye to eye. They need a third party, and we will then have the opportunity to help to bring peace. So do you know of a situation where there's disunity? Uh, disunity can so easily come out of nowhere, where there was once peace and harmony, all of a sudden there's conflict and strife. And so we can't be obsessed with it, but we've gotta be attentive to it and conscious of it. I know that during this time when all of the things that are happening in the world are creating polarizing effects, not just in the world, but in the church, it's really incumbent on us to help to make peace, to not stand our ground on every principle and conviction that we think we should believe in, but hold those things while also giving grace and latitude uh, to others. We don't know what the conflict between these two ladies was. They could have both had very good points, and yet Paul is admonishing. He doesn't even seem to take sides. He just says, we need to bring some resolution. And he actually continues in that theme as we go on throughout the chapter. And so I wanna look a little bit further to that. But you know, it's amazing to me as you consider um, these two women who may have helped plant this church are now uh, in disunity, obviously would have once been very unified or on the mission of planting a church. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Monument was obviously planted by a great group of people who were advancing the gospel. Um, but it can be that as you continue to live and work together side by side, uh, issues of disunity can arise. And so we can take this as a cautionary tale. Even if you've planted a church together, you've shouldered uh, all of what it takes to, to really be on mission together, there can be things that just come in and disrupt unity. We need to be attentive to those things. We need to look for third-party help in some cases, but just not tolerate disunity uh, among us. The other thing that he says just at the end of that few verses is he talks about the fact that their names are in the book of life. I mean, what a profound uh, consideration this is. There is a book that has all of the names written in it of those of us who are going to spend eternity with God in heaven. I mean, what a spectacular book this is. And here, Paul just refers to it, knowing that these women will be with him and the Philippian church for all of eternity. And so he just brings that consciousness to us. These women will serve along with us as we worship God in heaven forever. And it just puts the whole thing into an eternal perspective. It goes from this little issue that they're wrangling and tangling with to something much greater that when we put it into the perspective of God and heaven and eternity, just starts to shrink uh, the nature of those issues. And it's interesting too, because you know, referring to the book of life always just must cause us to go, my name is in the book of life. If I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, if I've received the free gift of salvation on the cross, my name is written in that book. Amazing to think that the name my parents gave me is actually written in, in this book. Uh, it's, it's far too great to even conceive of, um, but the assurance that comes from that 
is so important to us. And in my experience, a lot of Christians will wonder, you know, I, I, I did put my faith in Jesus, I, I do believe, but is my name written in the book of life? Am, am I really saved? I mean, how did Paul know that these ladies' names were written in the book of life? Was it through some complex metrics or some test or some qualification that they had to go through and he was aware of? No, he just knew that they put their faith in Jesus, receiving the free gift that cleansed them of their sin, and they now spend eternity with Jesus. That, that's one of the things I take away from this little book of life, almost side comment, is that there is a profound rooting and security in our salvation that should inform all of the things that we deal with and address in daily life. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for reminding us that this big book exists those who have put our faith in Jesus, our names are in it. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Is your name in the book of life? Do you have the assurance of salvation? This isn't a trick question. This isn't a test that you must strive to answer or go through. But if you have, rest assured. If you haven't, I just invite you to do that. This book is real. It exists in the mind's eye of God, and he wants your name in it. Well, there's so much more to be said on that, but I'm gonna continue on into the next portion of scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So this is a great encouragement, admonishment, because sometimes it catches us off guard. It, it's as if Paul grabs us by the collar in some ways and says, rejoice! And, and, and in the most loving of ways, but sometimes in a way that snaps us out of not rejoicing. Because rejoicing actually means, and I love the way that the message translation puts this little section that I'm looking at, uh, in verses four through seven, it says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. And, and if, if you tell me to do that, and I sort of take a little bit of stock of if I'm doing that, I'm like, wow, I, I, I get it. I, I'm not sure I've been doing exactly that. Some of the strain and stress of life have, have, have really, you know, just sort of diminished the rejoicing in me. And, and I mean, have I been celebrating God all day, every day? Well, there's no guilt or condemnation. Uh, Paul doesn't say, or you'll be punished. He just says, here's the opportunity available to us. Rejoice all day, every day. Revel in God. And, and I think that helps me to just sort of realign with the things that he wants uh, for our lives because God is giving us the opportunity to rejoice and for us to lay hold of it ongoingly is exactly what Paul is trying to direct us to do here. I love this next part where it says, let your reasonableness known to be known to everyone. And <clears throat> it's funny because that word reasonableness, it's like, am I, am I reasonable? Well, I think I'm reasonable. Does everybody know about my reasonableness? And, and you know, I think that the, the thing I, I, I sort of dug into here is, is that don't be irrational? Um, what, what exactly does it mean to, to be reasonable? 
And again, I'll point us to the message translation just because I think Eugene Peterson captures something here in these couple of verses. And, and here it says, uh, in, in that verse it says, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Oh, that's what reasonableness means. Is that how we are as the church? Is that how we are at, at Monument? Paul is calling us to this even in the midst of very principled convictions that are conflicting in the church today. I mean, let's be honest. We're dealing with so many things where it feels like people are getting a little unreasonable. I've got this conviction and I shouldn't be made to do that and I should be able to do this and, and that's fine. Those convictions are valid. And at the same time, he's saying as we coexist with other people, in the case of face masks, what is your conviction? But then what is it to, to actually be conciliatory? Speaking out against racial violence, quarantine, social distancing, all of these things are hot topics of the day. And if you let this statement govern it, what does it look like? Let me read it again. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them when it comes to any of these issues. And I just wanna pause for a moment here because I think one of the significant issues that's happened in this last week is the, the racial violence that's happened in Minneapolis. I'm from Minneapolis, I grew up there. It's been very difficult for me to watch my town uh, in flames um, and also just see the incredible injustice. And I think for us as a, an increasingly diverse and a, and a church that desires to be racially and ethnically diverse, we wanna continue to make this true to all that we meet that we're on your side. And that certainly includes uh, our ethnic minority brothers and sisters among us. Make your reasonableness known. Stand with people. Make it clear to them that you are on their side. These are the things that we can do, that we've been commissioned to do, that we've been given the freedom to do, that we've been given the power to do. Uh, and, and what really sets us apart uh, as followers of Christ. I wanna just read this last little bit of that passage where it says, um, you know, not to be anxious, those things. One of the ways to understand a passage of scripture um, that I've seen in the past as I've studied is actually to read the opposite of it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever heard of that? Um, so you take a passage of scripture and you actually turn it around. What, what exactly precisely is it not saying? It's kind of an interesting, sort of a sobering uh, heads up reading of it. So I'm just gonna read these last two verses of this portion where uh, in verses six through seven, Paul uh, says, be anxious about nothing where it starts. So I'm reading the opposite. Uh, imagine if Paul said this, be anxious about everything, and by all means, don't pray or give thanks to God. He doesn't care, and you don't need him. And the wrath of God, which we all know very well, will cause your hearts and minds to be in a constant state of panic as evil reigns. Now, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, sometimes, sometimes I think it's easier for us to believe these words than the words of Paul. Be anxious for nothing by prayer and supplication. Give thanks and let your requests be known to God. He will guard your hearts. If I think about it, 
sometimes we will drift in our nature to being anxious about everything, to really not praying about those things. And so it's a little bit of a sobering heads up to say, man, I feel like I've been living the opposite of this a little bit more than I've been living uh, the encouragement and the admonishment uh, of, of Paul in this case. Have you had anxiety? Have you had anxiousness? Have you drifted or withdrawn uh, from bringing these things to God and asking Him to help you to really, truly come and rescue in these situations, to help? Have you persisted in prayer? Because He's calling us to that. Not just here, but at so many points in the Bible, sometimes I think God wants to show His faithfulness in light of our faithfulness just to ask. So Paul does that here and he says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication give thanks and let your requests be known to God. He will guard your hearts. He's not wrathful, he wants to bring peace. He doesn't wanna expose you or make you vulnerable. He wants to help you. He wants to come in your time of need. And that is simply what this passage is saying. We have so much comfort in that. It gives us so much courage. And I hope that encourages you like it does me today because, man, it's just a fresh call to prayer, a fresh call to bringing all the difficult things that we face right now before him and know that he cares, know that he wants to help, and know that he has the power to do it beyond what we can imagine. Okay, let's get into the final portion of Scripture here in verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, this is so good and so needed. Why? Because I, I think, and in my experience and in my own soul, our hearts and minds tend to gravitate toward negative things. I mean, let's face it, the news cycle will prove that. Uh, the major news outlets would not be selling all that they have to offer if we weren't somehow attracted to negativity. There is just so much difficult stuff in the news that of course we can't be ignorant of, we need to be aware of, we may need to do something about, but we also don't need to meditate on these things probably as much as we do. There is something in our fallen nature that wants to gravitate toward these negative stories. And it's so funny because, I mean, can you imagine if there was a news outlet that reported just positive things? Well, there actually are. I mean, you've probably never heard of them. And, you know, it's because how often are people really looking out for really positive news. One's called the Positive News uh, Network. One's called the Optimist Daily, uh, the Good News Network. And, and it's funny because I've never heard of them actually until I started looking into it. And you know, the other thing that I realized is I was reading a major news outlet, I won't say because these can be polarizing, but I was scrolling down through all of the bad news <laughs> and it was all these terrible, difficult stories because let's face it, there's a lot of difficult things going on right now. And at the very bottom, it said the good stuff that happened this week. And I, I promise you, it was just like a thumbnail at the very bottom and, and, and then you click on it and there's just kind of one page with the good stuff. 
but then there's just a variety of other things. I mean, in some ways it's kind of funny. In some ways it's necessary. We have to be aware of these things. Researchers say that we look to it at times as a survival instinct. Hey, I gotta know what's out there. You know, it's a, like a headline that says, uh, you know, what's in your tap water that you need to know about? And you go, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just thought it was water. What is in it? I better click that. And oh my gosh, there's this, that, and the other thing. We need to be aware of these things, but we are also often all too prone to chase and click and follow these negative stories. Uh, here, Paul is saying, actually, whatever is all of these things, we should be meditating on. Mainstream news is probably not going to help us to follow these beautiful words of Paul. And it's really its own sort of opposite of scripture, right? If it's true that we have to train ourselves to think in the way that Paul recommends, then we actually need to give ourselves to it with great intention. There are a lot of things out there that are the opposites, and I'll just do the list again. Um, but this time, the opposite. There are things that are false, dishonorable, unjust, impure, ugly, deplorable, mediocre, not excellent, worthy, not of praise, but of condemnation. And he's saying, actually, if the deep rut of our nature will gravitate toward those things, or at least if there's any temptation in us, let's train our minds away from those things and toward these virtues. It's good for our souls, and it brings life and peace and freedom rather than the burdens of this world. Paul says, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Are you struggling to find peace? Is anxiety just sort of creeping in in ways that you don't seem to be able to control? I think Paul gives us a bit of an antidote here. He says, train your mind on these things. So I wanna ask you to do something as I close here. And you don't have to do it, but it'll be a fun little exercise to see just how good you are at doing this, because frankly, I recognize when I did this exercise that it took a little bit more effort than I thought. Okay, so get a piece of paper. Uh, you can pause the video here if you want and scramble for a piece of paper or maybe you have a notebook in your hand already and grab a pen. And write down one thing for each category that Paul lists. And I'm just gonna review that list here for us. Okay, you ready? So think of something that is true, write that down, something that's honorable, something that's just, something that's pure, something that's lovely, something that's commendable, something excellent, and something worthy of praise. See, because if we don't actually give ourselves intentionally to practicing these things, then they just sound like platitudes. Oh, that's a nice list, Paul. That's fluffy. I'll probably go back to thinking of things that are false or unjust or impure or ugly or deplorable because sometimes I gravitate that way. He's saying, actually be very intentional. Write a list. Help yourself to do this. Many of us know this scripture very well. Many of us love this scripture. Uh, my wife often quotes this scripture because I think it just, it just lifts her, refreshes her soul, even just to name the list. But then if we continue to take it a step further and we assign actual things that Paul is referring to in our own lives, in the world around us, 
to each of these virtues. It just helps bring life. It helps bring the kinds of things into our lives that are peaceful, that are life-giving. So when you've completed this list, share them with those that you're watching with or, or call somebody and share them. It will encourage them and bring peace when we talk about these life-giving things that are actually all around us. Great moment of discussion. I'm gonna sign off for now, but I'm gonna let you spend a little time on that list. It might be harder than you think, but once you do, share it. Again, somebody nearby, on the phone, a family member, uh, serve them in that way so that not only are you thinking on these things, you're directing their thoughts to them as well. Let me pray for us before I go. Father, we thank you so much for your words of life here. They are helping to untangle some of the anxious things we feel. They're helping to point out some of the disunity and how it may come. They're actually highlighting even issues of the day and how we need to extend ourselves, overextend ourselves to let people know that we're for them and we're fighting for them and we wanna do everything we can to serve them. Lord, these words can often be counterintuitive. They can often be counter to our own behavior, but thank you that they snap us into a wonderful sobriety of what the mind of Jesus is. Please help us to live this way. Please help us to meditate on these things, and please help us to follow Jesus as we go during this next week, we pray in his holy name, amen. Well, thanks again for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week.